Hi, I'm Mitchell, and you're listening to a Public Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thanks for listening. Who is loving the fall weather? Anybody with me on this? Who's mad and you want it to be hot again? Okay, I know there's got to be somebody. Oh man, I'm just loving it. If we haven't met, my name is Todd, and thank you guys so much for being with us today. I just want to start by taking us on a trip down memory lane. So you're in elementary school, and you're on the playground. Now, for those of you who are in here actually in elementary school, this may not be quite as far back, but just think back, you're in elementary school, you're on the playground, and you're doing your thing. So on the count of three, just shout out, what was your thing on the playground? One, two, three. Awesome. So, so you know what you're doing, okay? I'm playing kickball or four square, all right? E.L. Ross, I'm just saying, go Rockets. But anyway, so you're out there, and then somebody, probably a bully, comes up to you, and they just shove you, seemingly unprovoked. All right, now, what are you going to do? Don't answer this. Yeah, I don't Somebody's like, cry, I'm not sure. Here's the thing. Most of us have a pretty natural either fight or flight response that's just going to come up unprovoked. Well, it's actually provoked by the bully, but like we don't control it. It just emerges in that moment, and that kind of determines what we do. So remember that, but then I want to take you on another walk down memory lane, not quite as far back. Remember the last time that life just punched you in the mouth? Or maybe it was a sucker punch to the gut, or maybe you feel like life just shoved you, but when you stepped back and looked up, you saw life's coming back at you, and now what are you going to do? No matter what we would do on that playground in elementary school, when life comes at us, we only have one option. We must fight back. Because here's the truth. We've seen people get taken out by not fighting back, haven't we? In fact, in our own lives, at times, we've been sidelined by our refusal to fight back and just giving in and laying down. So we've got to be able to fight back. But sometimes we don't know how. And we feel so defeated. And we just got sucker punched. And we're trying to figure this thing out. So today, we're going to talk about how do we fight back. And to have this conversation, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. If you want to go there in your Bible or Bible apps, this is part two of just a little mini-series. It's also the finale of a series called Life is War. Life is War. And what I found is this phrase just resonates with us because we know it's true. We've all been punched in the mouth by life. We've all been knocked down and shoved and sucker punched in the gut. Like, we understand that life is war. And so we're talking about spiritual warfare. And for some of us, we start to get a little like weird about this. And like, oh, I'm not sure that I want to have this conversation. So I just want to revisit a story that I told last week about our three-year-old Oliver. So if it's your first time, this is fresh. If you're here last week, it's your review. But Oliver was having a really tough time listening. We asked him to listen and do, listen and do, listen to what we say and do what we say. He was having a really hard time with this. So in the midst of our discipline, I was just asking him, like, like, Oliver, like, why are you doing this? And I know sometimes kids, it's just impulse. They literally, they say, I don't know, and they literally don't know. I get that. But at this time, he said, the little voice in my head is telling me to. He's three. And I kind of looked at Whitney, and I looked back, and I just told him, I said, I have that little voice too. Like, I know what you're talking about. And, and what I have to do is try to ask Jesus and let Jesus' voice get louder than that other little voice so I can do the right thing. And there's this moment of clarity from a three-year-old. You know, Jesus said that children are going to teach us, and here's this three-year-old teaching us that there is something else going on. 
And so if you're weirded out by the conversation of spiritual warfare, then learn from a three-year-old who's aware enough to know, hey, there's more than meets the eye happening in this situation. And that's simply what we're talking about. We're acknowledging the truth that in our lives, there is something else going on. That's why last week we talked about a double awareness, that, that we have our eyes open to see that both life is war, but here's the other side, Jesus has already won the war. That, that we have an enemy and Jesus is unrivaled in all the universe. See the double awareness? That we are being attacked in the unseen world. Again, not weird, reality, that we're being attacked in the unseen world and we have resurrection power. So it's a double awareness that we're discussing. And why are we having this conversation? I mentioned this last week, just to reiterate, my, my friend Olympia Pierce taught me this, that what is one in the unseen will eventually be one in the scene. So if we're just fighting in the scene, we're actually missing a whole part of the war that's going on in the unseen. So we must fight in the unseen. And Ephesians chapter 6 is talking to us about how to do that. So just like last week, I'm actually just going to read this whole passage, verse 10 through 18. We'll pick up in verse 13 and finish it because we started it last week. But the reason we're doing this is because the word of God is living and active and it's powerful. It exposes what's going on, the things that we don't want to expose. So the reality is just by reading the word aloud, like somebody could come to faith in Jesus. Just by reading the word aloud, something that we don't want to expose could be exposed so that Jesus can bring us healing and deal with it. So let's just lean into the power of the word, because when the word is read, the spirit of God moves through the word of God. So let's read this, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. It will be on the screen. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So put on all of God's armor, so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, and against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. If you would, pray with me. Jesus, your Word has been read Holy Spirit, move through the word. Challenge, change us, show us how you want us to fight back. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we start where we ended last week, which is verse 10. And if you weren't here, the challenge was to memorize verse 10. That a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, because we have to understand, as life is war, here's, what we, here's our starting point. We receive strength. It's not internal. We receive it. Who do we receive strength from? From the unrivaled ruler of the universe. Be strong. Receive strength in the Lord, the unrivaled ruler of the universe, and in his mighty power. And that strength we receive is resurrection power. It is power that conquered death. So that's our starting point, that it's not something we're mustering up. It's something that we're actually receiving. And so with that, look at verse 13. 
Therefore, put on. Can everybody say put on? Put on every piece of God's armor. So you'll be able to resist in the time of evil. In the Greek, the original language, the the tense and, and the voice here is working to say, man, this is a decision we must make. We have to make a decision to put this on. God's wanting to give it to us, but we have to decide to put it on. So that the end of the verse, if we keep reading, then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Isn't this what we want? That we're going to get knocked down, but in the end, we get back up. In the end, we're still standing firm. And this phrase, after the battle, it means once you've done all, having pushed through and done everything you can by leaning into the resurrection power of the unravel king of the universe, that we would be standing firm. But there's something else in this verse that we have to understand before we dive specifically into the armor, and it's this. It says, put on every piece. Earlier in the passage, it says, put on all of God's armor. I know that we are a mix and match and substitute society. It is very rare that we order something straight from the menu. Anybody with me? We want to change this or get a different cheese or a different sauce or substitute. I mean, it's just who we are. But there is no mix and match and substitutions with the armor of God. We need it all. And if we don't put it all on, we're going to be exposed. To help illustrate this, I've invited some people to come up. So first is going to be KB. Can you guys give it up for KB as she comes on up? Now, she's got to gear up. KB plays lacrosse. This is a free advertisement for Lee's lacrosse team to come out and support them. And she is the goalie. So what kind of gear do you have here, KB? Um, Okay, so I have on my chest guard. Here we go. Mm -hmm. I got you. Thank you. I have on a chest guard. I have some gloves, a helmet, and my stick. Mm. So why do you need the chest guard as a goalie? Um, so the chest guard, it protects my heart and all of like my chest and everything, mm-hmm. but mostly just my heart. Yeah. yeah. Seems to be pretty important that your heart's protected. So yeah. you've got that you're holding that. Suppose I took this and said, okay, go out and play lacrosse. Uh, what's going to happen? Bad things. Yeah. Um, obviously my helmet, um, I don't know if you guys have seen a lacrosse ball. They're really small mm-hmm. and they hurt. Um, so if it hits my head, it'll definitely cause a concussion, Mm -hmm. um, or worse. Um, and then my gloves, they protect my knuckles and my thumbs. It could possibly break a finger. Yeah. I love that. So if you're going to be successful, you got to have all this, right? Yeah. Awesome. Can we give it up for KB coming up here geared up? All right. Next we have Joanna Butler and she is coming up and Joanna is representing all the parents out there. Any parents in the house today? Joanna is a mom of 88 children. Um, it feels like it. Her and Alan are incredible foster parents. And so Joanna's got a diaper bag up here. So, so what are some essential things as a parent we got to have in a diaper bag? Well, right now, currently, we're potty training our two-year-old, so a change of clothes. <laughs> <laughs> um, diapers, wipes. Yep. And you always have to have a snack. Oh, come on. Can I keep that, actually? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just slide that up here. All right, so here's the thing. We got the snack. What if, though, I took this, and you're out in Chattanooga, and you've got no wipes? What are you doing? Um, We're making a run to Target. Come on. You're making a run to Target. (laughs) And that could be an uncomfortable run for the two-year-old, wrapping in blankets, like, let's not get this on the car seat if you get the picture (laughs) I'm trying to paint. So to be successful as a mom out, you got to have all this stuff, right? Yes. Awesome. Can we give it up for Joanna? That was amazing. We got one more person coming up. Mr. Ryan Black himself is coming. 
And so Ryan is a creative, and he's got a gear bag here. All right, so, so Ryan, your gear bag is for what? What are you going to do? Uh, take pictures. Take pictures. He's going to shoot, oh, not people, okay? Well, actually people, but with a camera, okay? <laughs> so, so what do you have? You're going to shoot. What do you need in here? Um, obviously, you have a camera body mm -hmm. and a lens. You have a memory card, so you can save the images. Mm -hmm. And uh, batteries, very yes. important. Awesome. So let's say you get out for a shoot, and uh, you don't have any batteries. What are you going to do? I'm going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to. But, but these, these so little. Like, you got to have this, and it could be overlooked. It doesn't seem like it matters. It's a big part of it. It's a big part of it. That's right. All right. Can we give it up for Ryan? Make sure he gets it all. That was amazing. I love it. So hopefully, oh, you were good. Hopefully through those illustrations, you guys can see that in various areas of our lives, we got to have all of our stuff to be successful. So why in the world, when it comes to the armor of God, but well, we think we can just pick and choose? We think we can leave out the diapers or leave out the batteries, something that may be a little bit overlooked or leave out the helmet and gloves. We have to have it all. So the starting point is just this acknowledgement that we can't pick and choose. We got to put on every piece of the armor of God. So now let's start to walk through it because it says this in verse 14, stand your ground, stand your ground. This is a command in Greek. It's the imperative. Everything flowing from this is actually telling us how to stand your ground. So this is the thesis, stand your ground. How do we do that? It says stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Pause there. So the starting point is truth. And here's the idea. For a Roman soldier putting on this armor, like they have to put something around their waist to secure everything that they're wearing so that way they can run and be agile. Otherwise, stuff's just going to be falling off. I had the immense privilege of coaching Jay Person, who is just crushing it for the Chattanooga Mocs right now and just having an incredible season down there. And one of my favorite Jay memories, I think he was a sophomore, and I don't know if it was either a scrimmage or a game, but he like lost his belt or his belt broke. And so you see Jay like lining up to play football and he's like trying to pull his pants up. And then he's running and, trying to, and he's like trying to make tackles and he gets up and he's like trying to pull his pants up. And it's hilarious. And he's so good, he was still making plays, but he was limited. And, and here's the thing. Without truth, we may have some minor victories, but we are going to be severely limited. Who are we to think that we can go into a war laced with deceit without truth? I mean, that's what it said earlier, that we're fighting against the unseen forces. And one of the strategies of the devil and the spiritual forces of darkness is deceit. Game plan number one, deceive us, lie to us, twist the truth. So we got to have truth if we got any shot at being successful. So what is this truth founded on? This is the sheer truth of the gospel. The gospel, we're going to be talking more about this, but just a simple definition. It's the good news that Jesus came and he died and he rose again. Jesus came and he died and he rose again. And so what we do is first, we put the gospel on because everything else is just an implication and a working out of the gospel. That we secure ourselves and get ready for battle with truth. But then here's the flip side of that. Not only do we operate out of the gospel truth, that means we've got to be men and women of truth. We've got to be men and women of authenticity and of integrity. Because if we're claiming to put on this gospel belt of truth, and yet we're walking around and lying and deceiving, we look a lot more like the enemy than the Jesus who the gospel's about, don't we? So it's that we start with knowing, man, 
Our starting point, the thing holding everything together, is the truth of the gospel. And so as we live this out, we have to be men and women of truth. It goes on to say the next piece is the body armor of God's righteousness. It's very similar to the chest plate that KB was having. Just a side note, a fun contextual insight here is Paul, who's writing this, he's most likely in prison, and most likely he's chained to a Roman soldier as he writes this. So he's probably like, hey, dude, can you, oh, okay, chest plate, can you scoot over? Hey, tell me a story about that chest plate. Yep, yep, that's good. You know, it's pretty cool when you think about the context of this. But just like her chest plate is going to protect her heart, look, it is essential for us to have our heart protected. And how does this happen? It's through the righteousness of God. So, so here's the thing. When we follow Jesus, he puts his righteousness on us, which raises a question. Then why are we told to put on righteousness if he's already put it on us? Because it's one thing to wear it. It's a different thing to display it. What we have to do is we need to wear it, and we need to display what we're wearing. Here's what I mean by this. Back to elementary school. A lot of illustrations in elementary school today. Did you ever, like, have the off-brand stuff? And, and all the other kids had the cool stuff, and you had, like, the knockoff Birkenstocks or something. And you wore it, but you weren't exactly displaying it. You didn't want anybody to notice that these were the knockoffs. Am I the only one that had the knockoffs? I mean, come on. You know, like, like you're wearing it, but you're not necessarily displaying it. Look, it's one thing for us to recognize that God has put us his righteousness on us. It's another thing for us to display it by doing the right thing and living by God's standard in our everyday lives. And that's essential if we're going to protect our heart. That's essential if we're going to win and be able to fight back in life is war. So in just a moment, I want you just to say, to help us make sure we internalize this, we're going to say we're fighting back, and then I'm going to add what we're fighting back with to it. All right, ready? Go. We're fighting back with truth. Ready? Say it again. We're fighting back with righteousness. And then it goes on to say this in verse 15. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. The phrase that most of your translations have is put on the gospel of peace. It's interesting that we're in a war and yet it's talking about the gospel of peace, right? Because we need peace to operate well. Just a question for you, because it says this gospel of peace is going to make you ready. If you have ever performed in any way, maybe you've been part of a band or, or a show choir, some kind of performance. If you look over at somebody who's performing with you, and right before everything starts, they're like this. <laughs> do you have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to go out and do this thing well? The answer is no. Like, like for all of us athletes, like, you know the person you want with the ball at the end? It's the person who's like this. You don't want the person who's like, uh, right? We're not going to win if this is happening. So what peace does, it gets us ready. And that peace is rooted in the gospel. Jesus, uh, Paul actually defines this. I just want to read some from Philippians chapter 2, so we can understand what the gospel of peace means. We'll start in verse 12. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. Now, this next part, we're not going to feel, but it's true of us. It says, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. 
We may not feel that. We feel this next part. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Don't just brush by that. That apart from Jesus, for those of us who follow him, there's a point in our lives where we were apart from God and hopeless. But it doesn't end there because it says this, but now, man, this is good news. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Most translations say he is our peace. Know this this morning. Peace is a person. Peace has a name, and his name is Jesus. That if we want peace, then we're actually saying we want the presence of Jesus. He goes on to say, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ, he reconciled, he restored to friendship both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace or gospel of peace to Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to those Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us us. We're fighting this war, and we're walking it out with the gospel of peace. Here's what's key. This language of Ephesians 6 could actually be really damaging if we take this militant language and misapply it. We have to understand, and we talked about this last week, but sometimes we got to let this sink in and remind ourselves of this, that people are not our enemy. Now, sometimes people are being used by the devil, Ephesians 2, 2, okay? That happens. We've all been there. We've been used by the devil, so let's not throw stones. But people are not our enemy. So if we take this militant language and we apply it to people, we have missed out because it's not the gospel against people. It's the gospel of peace. When it feels like someone else is our enemy, we've got to recenter on the gospel. Remember, no, that's somebody God misses. That's somebody Jesus died for. It's not that... They're my enemy. They may be being used by the enemy, but, but God sent his son to die for them. So in this battle, I'm supposed to be walking out the gospel of peace, which means my actions should invite them to find peace with God, and we should find peace with each other. Now, our world is divided, isn't it? It's divided every which way you could be divided. Politically, racially, economically, the list goes on and on and on. And it would be irresponsible for those of us who follow Jesus to just say Jesus is the answer and walk out. But what we need to understand is that these are the gospel of peace. They're shoes because Jesus is the answer. But we don't just say that and walk away. We tell people Jesus is the answer and we help them find that answer by walking out the implications of the gospel. Are you following me here? 
It's not just, hey, figure it out, Jesus. No, no, no. Let's walk out. What are the implications of the gospel? What does it mean that he broke down the wall of hostility between two groups, that there was so much racism between them, so much prejudice between them, and then he didn't say, well, let's have a Jewish church and Gentile church. No, he said, let's have one church united, one family united in the name of Jesus. And as we think, okay, well, how does that apply to our everyday life and all the division, and we just keep walking out the gospel, Jesus will bring the unity that only he can bring. So in this war, with all the division and all the hostility, Jesus is the answer. And we live that out by walking out the gospel of peace. Anybody with me this morning? Anybody have some hope in the midst of all this division? So let's walk it out. And as we walk out the gospel of peace and all the implication of the gospel, we can have peace. When it's crazy and everything's going on around us and everybody's losing their minds, we got peace. Because remember the starting point, Ephesians 6.10? Jesus is the unrivaled king of the universe. We're fighting a battle in a war that's already been won. (laughs) That's what the gospel tells us. And then it goes on to say this as we keep walking out this armor. It says, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. This shield of faith, it's, it's four feet by two feet. It's heavy. It's made of wood. This wood is soaked with water, most likely. It's got leather around it. Just a little side note. That someone that was helping me work on this talk shared with me. Look, all this stuff's heavy, isn't it? But over time, we're going to get used to carrying it. And remember, it's not our strength. It's his resurrection power. So it may be heavy and uncomfortable and like, how do I get used to this? It's the strength of Jesus. We'll get used to it. He'll build up our strength over time. So you got this big shield. Why is it soaked in water? Because what it means by these fiery darts is that sometimes they would literally take arrows, dip them in tar, light that tar on fire, and shoot these at you. So if you just got a wood shield and fire hits it, it's going to burn up. But it's soaked in wood, so that way it can put out the fiery arts of the enemy. The fiery darts of the enemy. So so here's the thing. Faith quenches the attacks of the enemy. Which is so frustrating. Because some of you are like, here we go. Just believe, brother, again. I was tracking with you. And now it's like, well, let's just believe a little bit more. It's hard to have faith sometimes, isn't it? What even is it? Faith is confident trust in God expressed through our actions. I was been reading through Romans, and I came across Romans chapter 4, verse 17, a couple weeks ago in my time in the Word, and it simply says this at the end of it. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. And I literally read, wrote... Do I live and pray like I have faith that God has this kind of power? In verse 21, it gets worse for us. Abraham was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. I'm not fully convinced very often, just to be transparent. I'm more like the dad in Mark 9, 24, who's like, if you can, Jesus. And Jesus is like, if I can. And he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's more of the everyday status of my life. And so, do I live and pray like I have faith that God creates things out of nothing and that he can raise the dead because he can. So in that moment, what I started doing is I just started writing down prayers that sometimes I don't pray 
because my prayers aren't big enough. God, could you heal this person? God, could you do this? God, could you save this person whom you miss? And I just wrote down these prayers. And then at the end, because some of you are feeling a little tension, here's what I wrote. Just because you don't doesn't mean you can't. Because he may not. But the fact that he doesn't has nothing to do with the fact that he always can. I want to be somebody that when God doesn't, my faith grows anyway. Because what faith does is it literally extinguishes the attacks of the enemy. So wherever you're at in this, just ask for more faith. Jesus said you just need a mustard seed. Just need it a little bit. Start there and just say, God, grow my faith. God, I want to believe that you are who you say you are because you can raise the dead. In fact, you did. You rose Jesus from the dead. That's why our faith isn't blind. It's based on evidence. Investigate. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, now he offers us resurrection power, means that we can trust him. When those fiery darts are coming at us, what, what are those fiery darts? One of the most common ones for me is, you can't do this. You don't have what it takes. And you know, there's some truth in that, because I can't. On my own, I don't have what it takes. But you know what? Jesus chose me, and he supplies So one of my mantras is I have everything I need to lead. Jesus chose me and he supplies it all. Not faith in myself, faith in Jesus. Maybe you're like me and you struggle with control. And sometimes you just feel so powerless. And that fiery dart comes and says, you are powerless. You can't do anything. That is a lie. Because you know what I can do? I can lean on his resurrection power. Because Jesus has no uncontrollables. Therefore, I can control the controllables and release the rest. His authority frees me up to do that. I can fight back with faith. But what's the fiery dart coming at you? Maybe somebody comes up to you for advice. And you just hear in the back of your mind. Now, how many people did you have sex with? When was the last time you looked at pornography? Oh, that's it. Oh, oh, you didn't have sex. You just did everything but. And you think you're all right? You're going to give advice to them? Maybe somebody comes up to you with a question at work, and in your mind, you're like, you hear this voice that says, if they knew that season of your life where you completely mismanage your finances, they would not ask you for help. Who are you? Or maybe... You're just sitting at work or you're just going throughout your day or driving in a car. And it's that failure that just creeps in. You were high last week. Last week. Last Thursday was the day you drank too much. Oh, I know it's been six months and you're walking with a group and you're going through stuff, but that's called relapse. And you fell hard on your face. You can't do anything. God can't use you. Do you feel that? If you feel that, then feel this. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Do you feel that? That he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. If you feel that shame, if you feel that condemnation, then feel the truth of God's work. Speed to that shame as it says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. But yet you're pushing back and going, but I did it. 
I'm guilty. And if God is God, then somebody's got to take the punishment. Well, let's just keep reading here because it says this. Because you belong to him, you belong to Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There's some freedom in our lives. The law of Moses was able to save us because of the weakness in our, of our sinful nature. I love this line. So God did what the law could not do. Come on. Here's what God did. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. That when we fall, we don't have to keep falling. We can get up through the power of Jesus. We're dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Sin no longer has control over us. Why? By giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Well, who took my punishment? Well, he did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but we instead follow the spirit. Yes, we are guilty, but Jesus paid the price. He took our punishment, and there is no condemnation for all of us who belong to Jesus, which brings me to the next point in the armor, that it says take on the helmet of salvation, because you know what those fiery darts are often named at? Our mind. So why is it a helmet of salvation? Because we got to protect our minds, and how do we protect our minds? We remember whose we are, that because of salvation, because Jesus died and he rose again, and we can repent. That means we have a change in mind, the results in a change of action. And that Jesus rescues us from that, and he gives us a new identity. That we are no longer condemned but set free. We're no longer controlled by sin, but we can be led by the Spirit of God. Just look at Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Come on, somebody. That we've got resurrection power. But as long as we're walking around going, who am I and who am I and am I just a sinner? Am I No, no, we will sin, but our identity is no longer sinners. We're children of God. So we got to put on that helmet of salvation so we can be protected because the enemy's coming after our minds. But when we know whose we are, then we can fight back. Can somebody say we're fighting back? I'll say it one more time. We're fighting back. And then what happens is the last thing it says in verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Our offensive weapon is the word of God. Like, what does it look like? Well, we just did. We fight back with the word. Well, Psalms 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins from us. Romans chapter eight, read it all. Go home and read Ephesians 2, one through 10, and just have a little praise break in your bedroom because go, you know what? I once was dead, but in my sin, Jesus came and he raised me up and now I'm alive. And it's not anything I did, but it's grace that has saved me. Come on and just have some time anchoring yourself in the truth of God's word, reminding yourself who you are. Let's fight back with the word of God. We've been doing it the whole time. But explain this. It's what we've been doing. And then it says this, pray at all times. Pray in the spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This is not another weapon. This is a weapon that comp- this is a strategy, an irreplaceable aspect of all the other weapons. We can't really will the sword of the spirit unless we're praying. So just for simplicity's sake, we got to know this. If we ain't praying, we ain't fighting. This is an unseen world, an unseen realm. So if we ain't praying, we ain't fighting. So we got to pray. And I love that it says pray at all times in the spirit. 
Read in Romans 8. Again, let's fight back with the word. When we don't know what to pray, guess what the Spirit does? He prays for us. Come on. God's got us. It's his resurrection power. And so we can fight back. So so what do we do with this? Practically, how do we fight back? Well, we've got to start with prayer and the word. So I would just encourage you from the jump, these two things. Utilize some resources because it's our job as a church to help you figure out how to do this in your everyday life. So two simple resources. Utilize the Knowing Jesus Project on the Public Church app and utilize the Pray First app from Church of the Highlands. What do these two resources do? If you don't know how to get in the Word and use your offensive weapon, this is a strategy that tells you here's how you walk through both to read and live out the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, because it's a Bible study for every account of Jesus' life, all four. It's like, what do I do? How do I use the word? Go there and start this afternoon. How do I pray? I don't know how to pray. Use the Pray First app. Did you know there's a section on the app called Warfare Prayers? So we can go to war. So we can fight. I don't know how to fight. Read the scripture and read the prayer they include. (laughs) And then you can start fighting. And then finally, the, the big application for all of us isn't necessarily another resource, just simply the word of God, that we would pray Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 in community group this week. Whitney just challenged our group to do this. I know I walked out thinking, I'm gonna do this every day and I've already missed some days just fully confessing. And so that's why I was thinking, look, let's not get overwhelmed by legalism, but let's get into a rhythm. So let's commit to pray it and let's pick a rhythm. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's three times a week. Maybe it is daily. But let's just start doing it because anything is more than what we've probably been doing if we've not been praying this. And then let's simply do it for all of October. Whatever that rhythm is, let's just stick with it in October and let's see if we're not able to fight back more. Super practical for us. So here's how we're going to end today. We're going to end with communion. And so if you want to reach in the seat in front of you or right underneath you, you can grab one of these. What communion does is it reminds us that we fight from the gospel. That that all of these weapons and tools we need, they're all implications of the gospel. They're all given to us because Jesus died and rose again. So in just a little bit, what's going to happen is you're going to have some space to reflect. And when you have that space to reflect, when you're ready, you'll just take off the first part, the top. And as you eat that bread, you remember that Jesus' body was crushed for us. And then as you pull off the lid and you take the blood, you remember that Jesus shed his blood for us and we are forgiven because of the sacrifice and him shedding his blood. And we're just gonna take some time and reflect. Look, this is some space for you. And there's two questions that are gonna be on the screen. And I just wanna invite you before you actually take communion to reflect on these two questions. The first one is this, am I a Jesus follower? Because if not, the first step is repentance. Communion is for Jesus followers. So don't take communion, first repent because Jesus died and rose again. And then you can take communion as a Jesus follower for the first time, that would be an incredible day. And the second question is this, this, is there anything between God and me, any unconfessed sin? Or anything between someone else and me? Because remember, he brings, the gospel brings peace between us and God and peace between us and each other. So if you need to step out, send a text, Make a call, go to the prayer corner, get on your knees. Look, this is space for you. And in just a little bit, public worship, they're going to come up and lead us in a couple songs to finish out our time. But if you go ahead and finish it and they're not up here, man, just sit. 
pray, reflect, read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. This is some moments for us to center on the gospel and to start fighting Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social medias at a public church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of public church, you can do so through our app or website via PushPay or by texting public church in all caps and no space to 77977. Again, thanks for listening 